In a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hello. Hello. And uh, we're joined by another two-timer, another guest that is making He's his second He's a two-timer if I ever saw one. He is. Two-timing crook. A two-timing <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, he's actually one of our favorite people, despite that, is it's Mr. Joe Teeters, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Hello. Hello. I appreciate the warm welcome. Yes. It's... It's the best hospitality we can bring to you on a podcast. Cocoa with real marshmallows and candy canes. Yes. Yeah. Just, right. just to set the ambiance for everybody, Tony has prepared us hot chocolate and candy canes for this episode. It's a Christmas movie, so it's appropriate. You know, probably the Christmas movie for a lot of people. Yes. Uh, it's Frank, Frank Capra's 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life. Um it's, uh, I'd say for a lot of people, this is their quintessential Christmas movie, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it wasn't big in our Wheeler household, because uh, even though it was on television all the time, I think, in the, especially by the late 80s, I think they were playing it in syndication incessantly. Um, it wasn't really one that we watched too often, which is odd, because our parents love classic films, and my mom in particular loves Jimmy Stewart, but I remember her saying... I like It's a Wonderful Life, but it's not my favorite, which, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, like, it's maybe too melancholy and dark for her taste for. Her favorite movie is White Christmas, just to give you a contrast sure. for it. With That's her favorite Christmas movie, nice. yeah. Yeah. Which is a fun film. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a different kind of film, but yeah. Sure. yeah. Oh, it is, you know. Although it could be nightmares for some people if you're not a big fan. So. <laughs> it could also have that same connotation. And I always, for some reason, I always tend to get White Christmas and Holiday Inn intertwined because they basically have the same plot line and I think they both start being Crosby. And they both feature White Christmas, I think. They too, do. Right? Yeah, You're right. So. And they both take place at, at you know at a cabin, an inn, if you will, and so I always sort of get them mixed up. I'm like, is this the one with Rosemary Clooney? Oh, okay, that's White Christmas. I'm <laughs> your Alan. I'm just glad Bing Crosby tried new things. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did when he paired up with David Bowie. Yes, he did. That was a, that was a change. Yeah. But uh, going back to It's a Wonderful Life, um, uh, you know, for a lot of people, I think this is quintessential. I know, like Jimmy Stewart's one of my favorite actors. Uh, he really is. He's probably in my top ten. Um, Me too. I think I don't think anybody epitomized the American Everyman as well as Stewart. I mean, it's been said a million times, but it's really true. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and he, but he's also, I think, that label 
it's um, almost kind of simplifies how talented he is because that could mean a lot of things. But he gives a lot of depth to his characters. Yeah. He's every man in the sense that he, you can relate to him getting angry, you can relate to him being frustrated. Because this is George Bailey has issues. I mean, he he's not a guy that's completely well adjusted. He's dealing with his a sense of identity. He has yearnings to go to a different life outside of what he's currently has. Um, he's not excited about the world of banking. <laughs> yeah, go figure. <laughs> that, that didn't really get Spending him about seven years of my career in the world of banking, I understand. <laughs> yeah, you know that's a that's a weird thing too. This is a movie. It's everybody's favorite. Chris. It's it's a movie that everyone's favorite, and it's all about really banking. And this movie is really about mm. the financial world, and you know. Sure, that's a that's a character. I think that's a character in the movie. Yeah, the, it is. It's the, the New York savings, City of this. The savings and <laughs> well, loans. Well, the, yeah. the banking, the financial, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the economy, the finances. Obviously, you go from the Great Depression, you know, all the way through World mm-hmm. War II. You know, obviously, the movie starts earlier than the Great Depression, but um, obviously, because that's the the central part. That's their business: the Bailey Savings and Loan and Potter and his bank. But but just the the banking, the finances, the economy really is to me is kind of like a, a another character in that mm-hmm. film driving the driving the story. yeah because it, it does kind of uh that's the stock market is the crash is is a i think they indirectly feature in this movie mm-hmm. not like you know um well fine the run on the bank that's mm-hmm. during the stock market crash yeah that's right right when the stock market crash yeah oh i was just gonna say um the Bailey's built the savings alone is essentially the source of all of George Bailey's problems. Yes. It prevents him from going away in the first place. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. essentially kills his father in many mm-hmm. ways. I think um, it's what's keeping him in Bedford Falls, and it's really the the source of his resentment and and issues at the end with the actual money. But it's also the source of his resentment. But it's also the core mm-hmm. of his heart mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. his heart is poured into that and into the community yeah. through he. Via the savings and loan, he touches so many people um, yeah. and helps so many families find their happiness. Yeah. Um, they get to build their house. They get to have their business. They get they get to have their family um, via that savings and loan. His yeah. the bane of his the, the uh, yeah the blocker the, the blocker of his dreams. Yes. you know, and it's what ultimately saves him in the end. Yeah, is the impact he had. Yeah. From the savings and loan, with all those people coming together. Spoiler alert! Yeah, yeah, yeah for those who haven't seen this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, did you not put spoiler alert at the top? <laughs> uh, I know it's, you've had uh, seventy years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is the seventieth anniversary wow. as we record this too. Yeah. It's been That's seventy crazy. years. So I wanted to go around the room and get everybody's the, the first time you'd heard of the movie and your first impression of the film. How did you come across It's a Wonderful Life? We'll start with Tony and move. Um. You know, I, I think I discovered this movie that I really can recall is in high school. My stepdad uh, loved it, and so around Christmas time, he really enjoyed watching it. And I grew up watching old movies, and I love Jimmy Stewart. And I remember being shocked that I don't I had not recalled seeing it until that time. Um, but I just, it just sort of struck something in me. It's such a beautiful movie, and it's very touching. Um, and I... It's one of those movies for me that I've gone to several times in my life when I've been struggling with things that have nothing to do with the holidays or, uh, or, or aren't even holiday related, but I just feel like I need um, 
you know, reality checker, or if I'm feeling down in myself, or going through some personal struggles, I, I watch that movie and it gives me so much comfort and hope, and it makes me say, hey, even though I'm down and out right now, you know, I like to think that I've touched people in the same way George Bailey did, and one day I'll, you know, I'll move on from this and things will be okay, you know, and so for me it's been a very personal movie in that regard that I tend to always go to um, and watch, and it's just, and I think a lot of people, it it has that same effect on. It gives them hope and kind of makes them feel that, you know what, tomorrow's another day and this is a hard time right now, but we'll get through it. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, obviously being a child of the 80s, television was just really three channels and uh, <laughs> cable was a new thing and even with cable in those days programming was nowhere near as expansive as it is now so the holiday time programming was pretty set every every Thanksgiving to Christmas you had the classics on you had Miracle on 34th Street It's a Wonderful Life um, the Charlie Brown stuff uh, Rudolph all of the classic Christmas programming you guaranteed every Christmas from Thanksgiving to Christmas Day, that was programming you were seeing. So as a young kid, that's when I first became aware of it. It wasn't, like my family didn't have any kind of tie. It wasn't like a family mm -hmm. thing. Um, other than it was a family thing to be watching this programming together. Um, and I, you know, it, it, uh, it really hit me more than Miracle on 34th Street in those, just as a movie as a kid. Um, because of the be, because of the underlying message in there the connections the, the connections the relationships that we have the love that we have for people the friends that obviously the end quote remember George uh, no man is a failure who has friends so that's the important thing in life and I don't know why that struck me so much as a kid but it did and um that's that really pulled me in and made this movie even from a young age one of my favorite favorite movies yeah <clears throat> I don't remember ever seeing it I've heard of it a lot um, you know I the, the one I see is when he's running down the street saying Merry Christmas everyone yeah. you know like the Paul Revere of Christmas <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it wasn't until a few years ago we were at my aunt's house and I was watching it, and I actually sat down and watched it for the first time. I think it was over like Thanksgiving, and I just remember that I saw uh, Mr. Potter. I was like, "Why is he so angry?" Mm -hmm. Like, like you don't get a whole lot about him, and I was kind of put off about it because I was like, "I want to know why this guy's so rich and so angry," mm -hmm. you know, like you know, um, because I think that's more of like an old-fashioned villain where he. They don't, you don't really care to know. It wasn't until, like, nowadays, it's like you got Breaking Bad, everybody, you know, the main character is a, a guy that is not nuts. So you get all this nuance, and I was just like, <laughs> I was in the midst of that, well, this is not Breaking Bad, this is Walter White. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you're complaining that Mr. Potter's not an anti-hero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, just, he's just mean for no reason. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I watched it with... Tony a couple of years ago I kind of watched the whole film differently with someone that loved it and, and we watched it, it on my birthday yeah we I watched remember. it on my birthday we did it again this year mm -hmm. <clears throat> so yeah I, I got a different the nuance of the whole movie kind of came out and I uh, I liked it a lot more and then I was like oh 
And then I kind of enjoy Potter for just like kind of the over-the-top performance that Barrymore gives it, you know, that kind of, um, you can see he really enjoys playing the villain in the movie, and uh, I took a lot of, not that it's about him, but you could see it just kind of made sense, you know, as it was than it did before. <laughs> this is odd <laughs> roundabout way to say that, you know. It's probably the real time I saw it a couple of years ago for the first time. And I think what you're also asking for is a, is a miniseries on Mr. Potter similar to Mr. Potter. Man, how he became Mr. Potter. Maybe he's the great-grandfather of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Wow. That'd be, an That's, uh, that'd be interesting. <laughs> I wanted to go back to Joe's point like uh, about how television was programmed in the 80s. Like I also grew up in that era, and there's something I do miss about watching these programs uh, real time with the entire country and you're all united. I mean, there are pros and cons to it. Like, yeah, I like having choice. I like being having options and having control over what I'm watching versus things I really have no interest in. I think the downside of that is at times like the holidays where you can watch The Grinch anytime you want with your family and stuff. It's, you're still segregated from what everyone else is watching, you know. Yeah. And I kind of miss having that kind of unifying kind of event television that we used to have. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember they used to have, uh, on, most of those specials were on CBS, and I remember they had that CBS logo that would spin around before mm-hmm. you got excited because you knew something was coming CBS up. CBS special. Yes. Yeah. Or something like that. I remember they played The Grinch. Yes. That was The Grinch and Rudolph. All those specials had that before then. I don't know. I don't think It's a Wonderful Life ran on CBS too often. I think it was mostly syndication. NBC, I think, was a big... NBC had it, usually. Um, CBS, I think, had more of the family-oriented, children-oriented. That kind yeah, of they had that. MPC probably had more of the specials. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, uh, hey, let's go put on a show. But yeah, that, that connection as um, I think that's a very interesting point. The connection as a com- not just your local community, but the nation. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about all the things that. Um, all of the events that we did share together through television, not just big things like obviously JFK assassination. Everybody was tuned into Walter Cronkite. Everybody was tuned in on the moon landing together. Mm-hmm. Those are big events, but just something like at the holiday season, you know, what's everybody doing after five when yeah. it's dark and it's yeah. cold? You're yeah. going to sit in front of the television with your family, and we're all collectively watching one of three things. So, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a certain like uh, it, 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 there's certain comfort in that that mm-hmm. everybody was kind of watching that, um, and it's funny because this film was not an immediate hit when it was released in 1946. Now that's even going further back where you had to go to the movies to see virtually anything unless you're listening to the radio, and uh, it didn't do well. It was it was a flop. It came out the same I think at the same time as the best years of our lives, which was like a big. Became a mammoth hit that year. I never even heard of that. Now it's a it's a war. It was like an anti war uh, film. Okay. Um, it was a classic. It was also on like the AFI 100 list. So I have not seen that movie myself, so I can't vouch for the quality. But uh, it's funny because I think far more people now have heard of It's a Wonderful Life than the best years of our lives. Sure. But yeah. at that point, that was it was reversed yeah, when it came out. And, and this is not. I don't think this was intended to be like a Christmas movie. Right. It was actually released on December twentieth, nineteen forty-six. Okay, I checked it for, for one week. I take it back. But it was like limited release, and then it came out in January of forty-seven in full release. But it was actually released in forty-six, the week of Christmas. So they obviously tied that in. Oscar bait. Uh, that's right. <laughs> it was early Oscar bait performance. 
What, but I think it's awesome that it was still because it eventually became a Christmas movie for sure, yeah. but in most people's eyes, and uh, uh, so I think that date's pretty significant. As uh, as Joe was mentioning earlier, though, I think one of the unique things about this movie, even though it is a Christmas movie, it it's the t- it has a very timeless message that I think carries people throughout the entire year. Not just it's not just tied to the Christmas holiday, you know, it's more of an intrinsic um, personal feeling. Right. You know, that people experience throughout different spouses of their life based on what's going on. So I think that's kind of what helps it maintain its um, legendary status as opposed to some other movies, some other Christmas movies that just don't seem to, like, hold up. Mm-hmm. Basically, any Christmas movie that's come out in the last ten years. Or <laughs> 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 Anything with Ben Affleck fighting uh, James Gandolfini. Christmas or, with the crying uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not Christmas with <laughs> Right. <laughs> we could go through a whole list. Bad Santa, I do like. I'll vouch for Bad Santa. That's a, I do yeah. personally like Home for the Holidays, starring uh, JTT, mm-hmm. circa 1997. He's trying to get across country. He gets arrested. Yes. Yeah, okay. His friends like put him in a Santa suit in the desert or something strange like <laughs> yeah. that, and then he has to make it back to New York. Yeah. And all kind of insanity happens. Yeah. JTT. Modern Christmas movies are really are just two feuding families trying to put up Christmas lights and who has yeah. the best lights. It seems to be a weird theme that you keep going back to now. Yeah, well, and I think with It's a Wonderful Life, it's become a Christmas classic, but what I really love about it, as, mm-hmm. as what Tony was just saying, is the Christmas holiday is is not integral to the story. Mm-hmm. You can take that out. It, just the climactic scenes happen at Christmas time, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you could have that on the 4th of July if you needed to. I mean, it doesn't doesn't matter the me- the underlying message of um, love and family and friends and relationships applies anywhere. What's also interesting about this film, and I and I completely agree with that statement. You can watch this at pretty much any time of the year and still mm-hmm. get something out of it. You don't necessarily have to watch it at Christmas. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is the, the the premise that most people associate with this movie. What what would life be like if I would, if I had never existed? Yeah. Is only a fourth of the movie, right? You know, and that's kind of risky because usually that premise would come in like within a third of the film. You would set up a premise and then you would see an entire movie about what would happen if he didn't exist. Yeah, like um, you know, there's been so many different takes on this over the years. Mm-hmm. Family Man with yeah. Nicolas yes. Cage is one that that of recent mm-hmm. film. I don't know, that's maybe 10 or so more years ago, but um, that is exactly that, as you're saying. You see the whole movie of him seeing that other life. Yeah. Right. It's, not, it's only him realizing, you know, having the, the realization is at the end of the film, but you see that whole other life the whole course of the film. Mm-hmm. And I think that makes it a richer movie experience because you get to really know Bedford Falls as a city. You get to know George Bailey <laughs> as, a, as a person, uh, and that gives it so much more... Uh, resonance when you, he finally does go back and realizes what would happen if he didn't exist because we know the town so well at that point it it matters yeah. you know mm-hmm. um, I think a modern take on that like I said within the first third Bailey would not exist and the whole movie would just be him with comic antics I'm sure you yeah. know trying to find out like what happened to him you know so that's that's interesting that you know in 46 they had a different approach to that type of material they didn't focus on the fantasy elements as much well that's what gave it so much of that feel-good ending was mm-hmm. we had all of the action really at the end of the movie and then you have that feel-good feeling of everybody coming together. And um, Because the majority of the movie played out as George Bailey kind of settling and living this life that 
he didn't really wasn't by choice. He mm-hmm. kind of just made the best with what cards he had, which mm-hmm. is what we all do for the most yeah. part. I mean, I think that's another, um, for me, that's another element of the movie, aside from just what would life be like if I didn't exist, but also learning to, to accept and to be grateful for the life that you have. You know, that's why it's called It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Because, you know, there are things that happen to everybody, anyone that watches this movie, whether you're in high school, like I was the first time I saw it, or if you're just watching it later in life, where, you know, you took a path that you didn't really, it's not really a path that maybe you wanted to take, and you didn't get into this school, or you did this job, or you moved around, and you married that person, and got divorced, or whatever the case is, there's things that happen, and um, a lot of us find ourselves saying, hey, this is not what I hoped for. Mm-hmm. And being able to overcome that and realize that what you do, what you have now, it may not have been what you planned for, but that doesn't devalue it and it doesn't make it any less beautiful than what you may have, what you may have had if it went according to plan. Yeah, which is, is very much uh, the same message in Mr. Holland's opus. Mm-hmm. Uh, very yeah. much the same mm-hmm. kind of, of character. I mean, he had his dreams that mm-hmm. he couldn't fulfill because he had to get a job. He had a family. Mm-hmm. He had a baby. He wanted to be, go off and mm-hmm. be this big musician. And um, he became a teacher. And at the end, he realizes he spent this entire life mm-hmm. not living his dream, mm-hmm. but it was a he was living a dream. It was yeah. just not the dream he thought. Yeah. Completely yeah. different take yeah. on that same dream, essentially, yeah. but it was yeah. probably more rewarding because of all the yeah. lives you've impacted. Be- because he saw the same yeah. It's a Wonderful Life at the end. Like, yeah. at the end of It's a Wonderful Life, where you have the entire town coming in. They heard George was in trouble. Mm-hmm. They're pitching in. Everybody's coming in. Everybody's mm-hmm. coming in. Mr. Holland's Opus, same thing at the mm-hmm. end. All of his students are coming yeah. back and showing how he touched their lives, just the same way George touched the town's lives mm-hmm. in, in yeah. Bedford Falls. Yeah. Um, and uh, to your point, Sean, uh, talking about the beauty of It's a Wonderful Life, one of the beauties of It's a Wonderful Life, being able to see the town throughout all that movie and actually getting to know the town, it, it, mm-hmm. it made the end of that film so much more impactful because we, we had a, a vested uh, interest in those characters mm-hmm. and we cared about those characters. When Mr. Gower, when we see Mr. Gower on the flip side mm-hmm. as this ex-con yeah. drunk who everybody is shunning and he's, you know, we cared about Mr. Gower, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we cared about Ma Bailey who <laughs> in, yeah. in the flip side is this angry crotchety old widower, widow yeah. and we hated seeing her like that. We hated seeing Mary as the spin, as the, the, yeah. the spinstress. Um, uh, just, just, yeah, very, very well done. Very uh, well crafted story. It is, it is, and and uh, I, I like I like the feel like in Bedford Falls is like the quintessential small town. Like I think it's an almost a Rockwell esque small town. Mm-hmm. Like with whenever you see a Norman Rockwell painting, uh, this is like the cinematic equivalent of that at the beginning. Um, even though it's kind of, uh, I mean, it, it's ruled by a plutocrat, essentially. <laughs> um, they have to keep fighting them off, you know, from, from time to time. I wonder what that's like to be run. <laughs> no, I have no clue what you're talking about. Whatsoever. Hee haw! Hee haw! dog, which had a million dollars. Good for falls with beautiful. It's the best falls. It's the best falls. But even, even Sam Raimi. Technically, Rainer. we're not run yet. Yeah. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> technically. We're going for kind, technicality. Kind of get back to the positive. No? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Even Sam Rainwright, who is a childhood friend, remember uh, when George was in his 
you know, really dire moment. And uh, Sam Wainwright was, I think, in Europe. Mm-hmm. Someone got a hold of him, and he donated a lot of money and, and left the telegram. Yeah. Hee-haw, you know, yeah. that just goes to show, you know, I mean, George Bigley spent really his whole life building these relationships that carried with him, which is really rare, I think, even for back then, but especially rare today. I mean, gosh, you're lucky if you're friends with someone today that you were five years ago. Yeah, you know, yeah. things just happen. People move away, and I don't know, relationships just don't seem to hold the same amount of weight now as they, they did back then, I guess, um, in terms of, you know, people being people that you carried with you. It seems like it's more seasonal. Well, I think... I think when time, something bad happens to people, you see it all the time, and like those. Now you can actually see it. What happens at the end? Of it, it's a wonderful life, where they come in and pitch in. Like uh, there was a tragedy at, at my office this week, and uh, all this money poured in for this fund, and it just mm-hmm. keeps exceeding. They keep sitting. They're like, "Well, we're gonna make it ten thousand. Oh, we're gonna make it twenty-five thousand. Oh, we're gonna, you know, they just keep and it keeps getting beat yeah. by people that." Um, you know, that you meet along the way and you don't think that matter. And Sabrina announces her comeback. <laughs> Sabrina wants to chime in on this. Yeah, know. she's really in the giving. But I think that there is, I think there's a lot to say that you don't know what effect you have on people until, mm-hmm. and you probably may never know until you're down on your luck, you know, so horribly yeah. that people come to, to help you. And then you then you realize in that moment that you then yeah yeah well what, what I think is great um, about the story obviously that ending is beautiful mm-hmm. everyone rushes into help because yeah. they love him and uh, he loves them uh, but even if you don't have that ending if it just ends with him seeing the other side and realizing hey I I, I have a wonderful life mm-hmm. I uh, all these people I did all these great th- you know great things. In that, you know, I touched uh, every. I, I touched so many people. My life matters. Everybody's life matters. Um, even if you don't have the ending where they come in and save him and give him the money, it's still they end right there when he comes back and sees Zuzu and her petals. Mm-hmm. Or you know, th- that's yeah. fine. That's great. His life matters without being saved financially. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it does. And. Um, I think uh, that's the thing that resonates with me the most is just how this man can make a difference and how maybe he's going through some self-doubt because it's not exactly mm-hmm. the life that maybe he envisioned like we mentioned before. I think a lot of people relate to that, obviously, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people get up in that situation. Like, what I want, where I wanted to be mm-hmm. 20 years later is not when I was a kid. It's not where I ended up as an adult. And yet, at the same time, you do kind of end up with a richer experience because you've impacted all these lives and stuff. And I think that's probably the most powerful message from this movie is that you do make a difference whether you realize it or not. And when it becomes, when you become aware of that, it's like one of the most moving experiences of your life mm-hmm. when you, that awareness develops with what, what you've done. Yeah. That's why I, this is one of my favorite movies in general, but I also love going to it. As I kind of mentioned earlier, you know... Um, just because things happen in life and it's very easy to feel down in yourself. And I feel like now with social media, um, it makes it incredibly easy to, to feel not good enough or to, you see, you, you see the lives of other people around you so much and constantly comparing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And you know, especially, you know, this movie really helped me out when I graduated college, which was much later than a lot of my friends because, you know, I had to work full time and, 
Um, you know, at that point, I was in my mid-20s, and all my friends were getting married, neither having kids, or they, they seemed like they had these amazing jobs, and I was still working, you know, um, at a bank, which I really never really intended to or really wanted to work there or something that just kind of happened, but um, I'm grateful for that experience because I met some wonderful people and I learned a lot of skills, and I even was able to see somewhat in a George Bailey way the difference that I was making in helping these people achieve some of their financial dreams you know, whether it was getting a house or a car loan or, um, you know, paying off debt or things like that. Um, but, you know, I went through a period where I felt really down on myself and I vividly remember watching this movie and just feeling so much better and thinking, you know, I do have a good life and, and I'm very blessed and I can't get caught up in what I'm seeing out there in a reality that may not even be real, you know? Yeah. I need to just keep doing my thing, um, mm -hmm. not worry about that. And I think uh, for me that this movie is just so special because it just always makes me feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, it just reminds me that I, I make a difference, whether small or, you know, it, still I, I'm able to have an impact even if I feel really awful. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and um, kind of a, a separate note, one of my Donna Reed, Mary. Mary is one of my favorite characters in that film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, for even from the beginning, her her optimism, her her sentimentality. Like when she comes home from school, and George George walks over to her house, and you know they're they're meeting downstairs, and when they they. They're on the phone with Sam Wainwright together, that meeting in the mm -hmm. house. Yeah. He comes in. She's all excited. You know, mm -hmm. He's coming over. She's all excited. She goes downstairs, and what does she have there? She's got that sign that says, George Lasso's the moon. Mm -hmm. And she puts on Buffalo Gals. on the. It's just sitting right there yeah. on the record player. She puts on Buffalo Gals, the things yeah. from their first night at yeah. the dance. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, so she's been holding yeah. that for four years of college. Yeah. yeah. You know, she's... And she carries that throughout their throughout the whole movie, throughout their marriage. Just mm -hmm. she she goes and she buys that house that they mm -hmm. throw rocks at. Just that's just a beautiful, beautiful character to me. Yeah, it yeah, is. Um, and I I was blown away when I first found out that it was Donna Reed in this film as the love interest as Mary, because I had known Donna Reed. Nick and I used to play reruns of the Donna Reed show on Nick at Night. And so when it dawned on me, <laughs> Serena's a big Donna Reed. Um, um, but uh, it used to be, in the Donna Reed show was like sort of a father's no bust style late 50s show. I think she yeah. cleaned most of the time. Uh -huh. very 50s. <laughs> That's what women did. Women <laughs> cleaned the house back then. Uh, so to see her in this movie, which is kind of a similar take on, on the same time period, but... Um, even though it's maybe a decade earlier than the show, um, but it's a much richer experience. It just shows how she can act, and she can uh, really uh, sink her teeth into a very rich role like okay. this. This is great to see. You know, it's always good to see actors outside of what you probably primarily know them for. Yeah. And you know. you know, it's an interesting um, contrast, and and I don't know if this was intended, but the character of Mary and George. George really lives the majority of his life settling for this life that was there for him, not really the one that he wanted or intended. And Mary, on the flip side, got everything she wanted. 
George was always what she wanted, you know? Mm-hmm. That scene when they're in the soda shop and she says, I'll love you, George Bailey, till the day I die. Yeah. And um, and then that night when they have their dance and she says, oh, don't throw rocks at the house. I, I'd like to live there someday. And he's like, this whole thing? And, you know, it's just funny because she got, um, as simple as it was, she got everything that she wanted, which was, which was him. And uh, I think at the end he realized that, you yeah. know, when he was going through his moments and he saw her as a spinster and everything. And, um, but I think that's neat. And I don't know if that was intended, but I, I like that juxtaposition of her getting getting it all yeah. and him feeling like he was slighted. Mm-hmm. I would say as a vinyl collector, though, it's tough to watch her break that vinyl record. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. vinyl was a dime a dozen. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was, you know, it was just like, yeah. that. you watch it from modern eyes, like, you'd have no clue how valuable that is, Mary. I mean, it's just like you or I throwing our iPhone against the wall. <laughs> walk out to any corner store and get a dozen iPhones. <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, that's, a, that, that's a huge, like, cultural difference. It's like vinyl, we look at it nowadays, like, holy shit, that could be a collector's item. It could be selling that at Spoonful Records. <laughs> on the street but no that was that was like it was like gum back then you know they just bought it by the dozen yeah you know yeah yeah it's what a great film yeah <laughs> and I love the scene too after he has that discussion with Potter and he's actually considering working for Potter which yeah. really is probably one of the lowest things he can do for his own integrity is, mm-hmm. is to leave everything that he's ever known behind and his father's hard work and his hard work you know, at, be, really because of money, because Potter was offering him more money. Well, was um, it twenty thousand a year? It was a lot. I don't remember. I can't remember the exact amount. Yeah, Something uh, like, like that. Well, it's like I looked it up. It was like two hundred thousand today. So yeah. that's, that's. I mean, it was yeah. a lot of money. That's a lot of money yeah. to turn down. And he had about four kids already, or no? I don't think he had any kids at that moment in time. Because that's the night where he goes home and he's really down on himself, and he says to Mary, "He's like, why did you marry me?" You know, and she says, because I want my baby to look like you. Yeah. And she's mm-hmm. so sweet. And he's like, baby, are you on the nest? <laughs> but I always love that scene. Yeah. You know, because we can see that he started to feel really down on yes. himself. And that's really the start of him. Of It's the start of the progression that we see later where he comes home and he's angry. And what, what do we have to have all these kids for? And, I'm, you know. I'm totally going to re- relabel the Judd Apatow film <laughs> on the nest. <laughs> Every time I watch that from here on out, I'm gonna, it's going to be on the nest. That's what he said, which I thought was cute. Are you on the nest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, there's a lot of that uh, language yeah. in this movie yeah. like that yeah. just kind of turn a phrase that has passed all of us by. Yeah. Um, on the nest, what do you say? A lasso the moon. How about that? You know. <laughs> and then she says, George, lasso stork. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a really sweet scene. Yeah. Very, I like that. So much sweetness in, in Mary. Right. So much yeah. sweetness in Mary. How many of us would trust Uncle Billy with money, by the way? Is that... <laughs> we all have an Uncle Billy, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. The strings on his fingers. Great character. That yeah, fantastic. Of, great character. That eight grand, man, that makes the whole difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And and George's brother, um, Harry, he's a nice kid. He seems to have give. He seems to have gotten all the breaks. Is yeah. what it seems like, you know. Yeah. Because it was he was George was just going to do the savings alone for a couple years while he was in college, and then he came back and was married, and then yeah. you know. So I think in some ways, George kind of resents him a little. He's like the war hero. But George, George has resentment there, but I think George, I think George's resentments, uh, um, 
not that he doesn't resent him. I'm not saying yeah. that, but he's got resent from resentment for his choices because he's making the choices out of love. Mm-hmm. Because Harry gets those breaks because George makes the sacrifices yep. for him. George stays yep. and runs the building alone while mm-hmm. Harry goes off to college. George could have George could have stood up and been, no, damn it, it's my time to go. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. go. And yeah. He could have yeah. done that, but he doesn't because he loves his brother. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, George lost his hearing for Harry. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. saved him. You know, it's kind of foreshadowing. Yeah, he did. He did. I mean, that that's story, that basically yeah. sets up that whole relationship beautifully, which is like George sacrifices for Harry. Yeah. You know, Harry reaps the rewards of George's sacrifice. Well, and it's, it's a like, classic older brother, younger brother relationship. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, uh, I'm I'm the youngest child, so I benefit from that a lot. But I mean, I still have the same. I would do the same for any of my siblings, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you you look out for your siblings, yeah, especially yeah. Oh, yeah. especially as an older sibling. There's a di- I, I can't relate to that because I don't have any younger siblings, but I can look at my nephews, and my niece, kind of. My two nephews are close to me in age, so I kind of look at them as little brothers. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly would. You know, you would make those kind of sacrifices for your little brother, your little mm-hmm. sister. Mm-hmm. Isn't that right, Scott? <laughs> I didn't want to bring that. Up. I was saying that without saying that. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Joe. Thanks for reaffirming. <laughs> now you, you set the standard, Joe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't living up to any standard. Yeah, now, yeah, now you said a you said a line for me to. Or Sean, Sean's yeah, your older yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean's your older brother. Would you yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you sacrifice your hearing for Scott? That's right, yeah. I did. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think I beat him up and locked him in the closet when we were kids. <laughs> well, there you know, is that. There yeah, is there's that. There's that. You know, I don't know yeah. if George and Harry had that that kind of thing. Yeah. Although it is at the end when Harry goes up, like it's the richest man I know, which is a beautiful line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But George probably would turn around like, "You condescending asshole." <laughs> 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 you really don't mean that. You're a warrior. Oh, you're right, George. Yeah. I just trying to perk you up. <laughs> that's that's just that line right there specifically. Like mm-hmm. I, um, I watch that film, and I always it's it's one of the re- I shouldn't say it's one of the reasons, but I think it's, a, it's an example of why it's such an important film to me. Mm-hmm. Is the emotion that comes out at the end of that film for mm-hmm. me? It pulls the emotion out of me. It just you can't mm-hmm. you can't not feel anything at the end of that film when everybody's coming in yeah. after he's lived through that alternate reality and you see him at his lowest point he's about ready to kill himself he sees what yeah. the world would have been like without him and he just that elation when he realizes mm-hmm. he's back and he just rushes in there and just the love of everybody coming in and Annie comes in mm-hmm. you know I, I was uh, uh, I was saving this money for a divorce if and I ever got a husband one of my favorite <laughs> lines from that film <laughs> just her and yeah. But just everybody's coming in. Yeah. Mr. Gower and... Um, yeah. How about Bert and Ernie? And he, he, <laughs> <laughs> Who are the inspiration for the Sesame Street? Are they really? Yeah. The characters Bert and Ernie. That makes sense. I was wondering about it. I was just about to ask about mm-hmm. that. If, that, if they were. Yeah. They, they, they definitely were the, yeah. the inspirations for This that. is a very gossipy town, though, I would say. <laughs> this is not a town that you well, want to I mean, have things known. It, right. it might get around the. Uh, uh, I think every tall, small town. Sure. It's kind of gossipy, sure. you know. Does this town have a falls? Yeah. Bedford, Bedford Falls. Yeah. yeah, Bedford Falls. I would think so. Because town's named name falls. Does, it don't have a falls. Well, does Cuyahoga Falls have falls? The rumor is it, it was. It doesn't, but Chagrin Falls does. Chagrin Falls. The rumor has it like it was based off of a, a, a New York City called Seneca Falls, and they they said Capra traveled a year before the movie came out, and that's what gave him the inspiration. And <laughs> I laugh because Gremlins is 
Kingston Falls. That, that was referenced from this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they actually play clips of It's a Wonderful Life in Gremlins too. Yeah, because so. don't they recreate the in Gremlins him running through like like George running yeah. through yes. like, the, the main street? Yeah, yeah. doesn't Billy. Billy? Is that character? Yeah, Billy, I think. Doesn't he do a similar run yeah. through downtown? <laughs> he probably does after he, yeah. he puts a stripe in a... <laughs> <laughs> in a blender? In a blender, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, But, you know, I, 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 actually, if you look at Gremlins, it's almost like a satire of It's a Wonderful Life in a way, because, like, the whole city has that heightened, um, kind of satirical take on that same, like, Bedford Falls-type town. Yeah, it's the, Kingston Falls, I think, in that movie, like you yeah, said. Yeah, the Potter-esque character in, I forget the character or the actress's name, but Florence, who played Flo on Alabama. Yes. I uh, forget her name. But I know you're talking about. But yeah. she's the old, you know, bitter old rich person, you know. Right. Mr. Potter never had to deal with gremlins, either, so, <laughs> so that would have been... That would have loved to see. That would have been awesome if Capra had the gremlins. That was World War II, you know, that's how that term yeah. originated. It would have made yeah. sense. And just have them tear Mr. Hotter Potter apart. Hotter Potter. Potter Potter. Mr. Hotter in my version of it, you know, for Eminem is Jug Band. We'll switch over to that for Christmas. Yeah, exactly. We'll do that. Um, <laughs> is that in the porn version of It's a Wonderful Life, Mr. Hotter? <laughs> Mr. Hotter. <laughs> yeah, there is. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'll find yeah, it there yeah. somewhere. Oh boy. Um, but I mean, all the influence of this movie on pop culture. I mean, we just mentioned a couple of things, but I mean. Burton Ernie, that's pretty significant. I mean, those are iconic characters in their own right, and they were sure. drawn from this. Mm-hmm. They were talking about Gremlins and that. You know, that's a very popular movie. Um, and, and just like, I think any, like even Back to the Future, it's not a direct correlation, but I'm sure a lot of thematics from yeah. that movie and the, and the mood yeah. is, is transferred over In terms of bit. seeing how things could have been yeah. 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 without well, you. In, in similar movies, like Sliding Doors, you're seeing an alternate life. Granted, that's a little bit different. Space it is based on one specific choice, but it's you're seeing alternate what your life could have been like yeah. if one thing or whatever was different. Um, it's Wonderful Life has been uh, like they do with many things. They 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 remade It's a Wonderful Life. I forget what the title. I'd have to look it up. The title of it. It, it was in the '70s or '80s, and um, the George Bailey character was a female. Um, and it was a modernized take on it, and I think it was one of the Charlie's Angels actresses that played oh, that okay. played that character. That's interesting. Um, I should have looked it up before this podcast, but that was I remember that movie because it had um, um, sorry the Mash actor that played uh, Trapper John. Oh, who was that? Um, hmm, Trapper John. Yeah, I'm sorry. We have Charlie have This is our was IMDb it, moment. Was it yeah. uh, Jacqueline Smith or Farrah Fawcett? Maybe, uh, possibly. But it, but that movie was remade. Like that was a really good remake of the movie. I thought it was a modern take. It was set in whatever time period that was, the late '70s or early '80s. Um, so we can we can safely say fashion was probably not at its peak. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> late '70s. Um, uh, but then, like I said, a Family Man. With Nicolas Cage, which that, I thought to that me, was a good movie. That to me is a similar "It's a yeah. Wonderful Life" type uh, movie. Very much so. It says here that uh, the, it was remade as "It Happened One Christmas in '77." Yeah, was that the? the I'm sure that's it. It had Horace Leachman was the angel in that one. I guess yeah. uh, Wayne Rogers <clears throat> um, is the actor for Mash. He was in that. Um, I but I remember I, I remember watching that and obviously enjoying it because it's a mm-hmm. uh, 
It's a knockoff of It's a Wonderful Life. Not only that, but Mr. Orson Welles played Mr. Potter in that version. So that's interesting. That would have been a great casting oh, wow. choice, actually. Um, but uh, you know, it's one of those movies, I think it's hard to recapture the magic of the original anyway, because it's so perfect the way it is. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's like Casablanca. You can't really yeah. just go back to it. Um, I, I like the fact that this is in black and white. Apparently, there have been attempts to colorize this over the years, and I just can't imagine. Watching I have a, color. a colorized version. You have a colorized yeah, version. Yeah, I have like a two disc, um, like special anniversary edition. Yeah. And it has the black and white version and a colorized version. Yeah. Same movie, obviously. Thanks, Ted Turner. <laughs> and his crayons. Yeah. It just—I mean, when I bought it, it had that option. No, but I rarely ever watch the color absolutely. one. I, I prefer the black and white too. But it's there if yeah. you ever want to see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that was a, a line from Orson Welles, too. It's like, make sure you keep Ted Turner and his crayons away from my movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, back to some of the uh, characters in the film, some of the other characters in the film. Um, yeah, uh, Violet was a fun character. You know, she obviously was playing that, uh, uh, the opposite of Mary, in the sense yeah. that she was, um, uh, uh, I don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to slut shame. Um, that's not the yeah. thing, but she was certainly uh, flirtatious, flirtatious, yeah. very flirtatious. And but she was also, I loved her, her character, her vulnerabilities. You know, she comes mm-hmm. to George, and there at the end, George is, is helping her out. <coughs> I forget exactly what her yeah. her problem was, but he was he gave her money to help her get away and and stuff. Uh, I don't think she was on the nest, if you will. I don't, no. think, that, I don't think that was the scandal, but she's no. she just had. You know, had enough or whatever, and she needed to get away. I think she, she was on her own and just wasn't yeah. really making it. You yeah, know? yeah. But I loved her her character even from the time when they were little. Yeah. Uh, that same soda soda shop scene uh-huh. where yeah. she's sitting there and and uh, Mary says she says that she likes George and Mary's like you like every boy. Every boy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it was true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, isn't there a scene I think where she goes up to George uh, and she's like. George, get your head out of the books. I forget what the line is. Yeah. But there's a great exchange between the two of them. Yeah, they're standing in the middle of Main Street, mm-hmm. and he's out, and um, uh, she's like, yeah, stop. Don't you want to live life? Stop reading books. Don't you live life? He's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go right yeah. now. Let's go up to whatever, Mount Bedford, and, and let's take our shoes off and walk in the grass. And she's like, what? And then by that time, <laughs> there's a whole crowd of people standing around yeah. and laughing at yeah. That's before he goes to Mary's house. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. He's feeling, I think he's feeling a little vulnerable because I think he likes Mary, but yeah. he's really reluctant to settle down. Yeah. He's kind of trying to resist. He's, yeah. And that's why he doesn't go straight there, but eventually yeah. ends up there. Yeah. And then she's like, your mother called and said, you're gonna visit. My mo- what? what's going on I didn't here? tell anybody I was coming here. But that's why she's so prepared yeah, for yeah. him. She's Everybody like, knows, George. Yeah. Everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's like that iconic scene when they're on the phone and they kiss, and he's like, now you listen here. Yeah. I don't want to get married, yeah. and I don't want to, you know, and then he just kind of falls into it because he, he realizes he does love her and that, that she deserves, right. you know, and what she wants. That is an amazing scene. The, just yeah. the, the build-up in that scene mm-hmm. with them talking on the phone to Sam, and you just, you see it. That's both of them. It just, yeah. it, it comes over their face. They're standing so close together, and, you know, that he explodes he explodes in that uh, with with 
I don't know, passion and somewhat rage. Like he's like, yes. now listen here, he's trying to fight it. Like, yeah. I, yeah. No, I, I can't love you. Yes. I, I, this can't happen. This is, I'm not gonna do, I'm not gonna settle. But then he kisses her and it's just, it's, it's a yeah. very yeah. hot 1940s. Yeah. Yeah. And the mom is. is so funny. Oh, the mom is like, oh, Daughter, We're having hot passion and lovemaking over here. That's my, one of my favorite lines in the movie. But the mom cracks me up when she sees that she's kissing George. Yeah. She's like all beside herself. <laughs> Sam Wainwright's calling from New York or wherever. She <laughs> she's like, well, one character we haven't addressed. She's like, oh, hee haw, Sam. <laughs> well, one character we haven't addressed, of course, is Clarence, surprisingly. Yes. Uh, very significant. Yes. Uh, the angel that has yet to receive his wings, and he's been there for 200 years, which makes me think heaven. You know, is, is bureaucratic. Yeah, <laughs> great. But it takes that long for someone deceased to receive that. <laughs> Who's an angel got to blow to get his wings around here? Oh. I can think of the cover of that Van Halen album with the angels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's that John Travolta movie, you know, with oh, Michael. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's there you right. go. That's right. There you go. Hey. <laughs> but man, that's a long time. I feel bad for yeah. Clarence. It's like what. Jesus. Well, it sounds like no he tried before and didn't make it. Is what it kind of sounded like. They, they're very kind of saying like he's he. Yeah. They basically say he's dumb. Clarence yeah. is dumb. They say at the beginning, it's like he's not too bright. His yeah. head is filled with uh, butter. Or he has the faith of a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. like simple faith of a child. <laughs> they're not cynical like us angels. <laughs> Why would an angel even be cynical at that point? Because you're in heaven. You know God exists. It's been confirmed, and yet you know you're still. Condescending towards these other people. Well, but he's. They yeah. need those kinds of characters to exist yeah. to make it fun. Well, yeah. but the angels are still up there pushing paper, man. Yeah, yeah. they are. This is heaven. We get to work in an office with a cubicle and push paper. Yeah. This is great. Can we find a better way to decide the fate of mortal souls? <laughs> yeah, I know. Than, than bureaucratic office work? I know. <laughs> Can't we just have like an endless dance party? I mean, really, like an endless New Year's Eve party? <laughs> But what did the wings do for you? Is it just like a badge? It's it's a promotion. Yeah, Yeah. I mean he's angel second class, so I guess it's like yeah, it's like getting your um, it's like getting your chevrons in the army. You're gonna get you're gonna get promoted to sergeant or something. Yeah, I think it's a status thing. That's what it seems like. Oh, there's a it's a. So even in heaven, there's status. Yeah. Well, yeah. Apparently, heaven is. That is very sad. That's very depressing. (laughs) Their version of heaven in this film is a bunch of constellations beeping at each other, (laughs) which was pretty amazing. Yeah. Technology. Technology. Yeah. What? Special effects. It is. It's a unique way to start the film. You're already engaged in it. Like, what am I watching? It's just a bunch of these constellations talking to each other. (laughs) And blinking. And blinking. Yeah. I like that it still keeps a little bit of mystery to heaven. You know, because sometimes when you see heaven scenes, they're either like hokey or stupid or I don't know. Like, I like that there's still a sense of mystery and wonder about heaven. Like, oh, okay, is it just being in constellations? You know, um, so for me, I like that that quality of it. I think there's an innocence to it and I think it's charming. You know, this this is like a weird version of Scrooge in a way. Because it has the angel showing him life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's like without him... Then you got like a Scrooge-like character, Mr. Potter, uh, but he's not. It's actually. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, this movie is about Bob Cratchit. And Bob it, Cratchit. Yeah, going it's really about yeah. Bob yeah. Cratchit. Yeah. That's, that's basically how you can look at it. Yeah, yeah. that's. And there's no redemption for Scrooge. He's just no, 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 no. <laughs> it's just like he's he's 
Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> he gets the uh, Back to the Future 2 <laughs> treatment. <laughs> Which has to be where they got that idea. I couldn't imagine the Potterville. You know. Oh, I mean, I, I'm sure, like, uh, well, there's another inspiration for that. We won't go into that right now for yeah. Back to the Future 2. But, um, but that was definitely, it had to be a Capra-esque scenario. Like, Pottersville was Biffville eventually in, in, in Part 2. Where it's the same reality, but it's just different run mm-hmm. by. Although, he, did he run for, I mean, Pottersville, he just, he just owns this town? Yeah, he's yeah. Just a, he was so rich, he owned everything. <laughs> he, just, he just said, I'm just going to own this town and name it after me. Yeah, yeah, because at the stock market crash, if yeah. George hadn't been there, the savings loan, he was buying everything. Yeah, and so. then, because it was, ba- Bailey did have that area named after him, was it Baileyville or Bailey, something? Bailey Park. Bailey yeah. Park. Yeah. Big on naming stuff after Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's because, like, I guess Potterhead, like, was, they were far, referred to them as slums. Yeah. But I guess yeah. he had an area, like, a housing development, too, that wasn't as nice. Yeah. So it sounded like. Yeah. Our modern version of slums are different than Bedford Falls version that's of slums, true. too. Right. <laughs> to be, right. Yeah. You know. Because when I hear slums, I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. I've seen worse. Yeah. 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 But, but I, I, you know, I remember George Bailey making a reference to the slum. He's like, you make them live in slums or something like to yeah. that effect. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess he's got his own area that's maybe not as well kept. Yeah. Oh, that scene where he yells on, on that note when he mm-hmm. yells at Uncle Billy oh, after yeah. he loses the money is yeah. so powerful. That's yeah. like that's when, I like it when Jimmy Stewart loses his temper because he... His voice goes up several notches, you know. I forget the exact dialogue, but it's a great... He calls him, like, a crazy old man or yeah. something. Yeah, you like crazy that. old man. He's like, this is going to be a scandal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they lost the... Uh, he shakes him. Doesn't he shake him? Yeah, he yeah, does yeah, shake yeah. him, yeah. What was he getting the money from? Like, uh, I didn't know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I was a little iffy on some of the financial parts of the... Uh, so he was bringing money into the bank to deposit. Yeah, so the yes. savings alone had an account at the bank. Okay. To, to put money in the bank. Gotcha. Um, and then keep it, you know. For their business. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And then uh, Mr. Potter gets a hold of it. Because <laughs> yeah. Uncle Billy was so distracted by yeah. the good news of Harry coming yeah, to town. Yeah, that's exactly what he, happened. It was Christmas Day or, or Christmas Eve yeah. or something, and uh, he was all excited and then was talking to Potter, kind of bragging about yeah. his nephew, you know, feeling proud, and just left the money in the newspaper. and. <laughs> As you want to do yeah. when you're distracted, yeah. Probably got a second, grabbed the newspaper. And then noticed it was in there. And he's like, wheel me into this room now. Money! Yeah, he yelled at that guy and he's basically like, wheel me into this private room. I honestly don't know how Potter didn't end up at the bottom of a, of a flight of stairs with that dude pushing him around. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would have just been like, sayonara. Yeah. Kicked him in the back. Yeah. How, how much does a Potter pusher make? <laughs> Potter pusher. <laughs> oh my God. Does he make the $200,000 too? Probably not. He probably made more than that. You're assuming they're considered human yeah. by him, you know. Potter will give it fifty dollars on the on the dollar, or fifty cents on the dollar. Um, oh, go right ahead. No, no, I just we uh, we were talking around there um, off of Clarence. Um, Clarence, if I'm remembering this correctly, uh, alternate casting. Uh, it, it, I could have this wrong. It's either Clarence or Uncle Billy was was potentially going to be W. C. Fields. Well, that makes sense. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. I could easily say it was Clarence. Yeah, uh, I think it was Clarence, but I'm not 100. percent It was one of the two. Yeah. Um, oh, he would have been great. 
and they cast him. I'm happy with what they have, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see him adding a certain yeah. comedic flair to that. Yeah. Um, would have been interesting, and, and, and Clarence is an interesting character too. I mean, because he's kind of going through his own arc. You know, you have mm-hmm. two simultaneous arcs going on. So there's George's, and then it's uh, a Clarence's. You know, trying to, and they're both trying for validation in their own way. Like mm-hmm. uh, Clarence wants to be validated as an angel. Yeah. getting wings yes. and George wants to be validated as a as a man essentially yeah. you know that he had a fulfilling life so it's that's basically the, the overall overarching theme is validation you know is he seems like a buddy hackett Clarence <laughs> yeah, yeah he went good. buddy hackett was a little too young probably at yeah. that time but yeah. uh, would have been good that's the same uh the same in line kind of the voice kind of reminded me of buddy hackett maybe not as over the top but um, well, I think one of the things that George really struggled with uh, throughout the duration of the movie was, was self-acceptance, being able to accept who he was, mm-hmm. and being able to accept the life that he was living, because it always seemed like he was wanting more, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that can be a, uh, like a breeding ground for insecurity and mm-hmm. unhappiness. When you're always wanting more and you don't mm-hmm. feel like what you have is good enough. And that's really kind of what parts of the message was at the end is that, you know, it's a wonderful life. What you do have is good. You know, try and make the best of it even though it may not be what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certainly elements and people that are great about it. So, um, you know, be thankful, especially after war times. A lot of people lost loved ones. And I think people were struggling with that and, and kind of the identity of their families and um, so I think it hopefully gave them some hope. Yeah, and I, I think that's to Frank Capra's mm-hmm. um, credit in making that kind of film yeah. at that time. Yeah. You know, um, bypassing war films were very popular at that time. Um, so to, to stay away from that and actually bring a, mm-hmm. a, a totally non-related, positive, uplifting story. Yeah. Um, Frank, Frank Capra... Obviously, he's um, uh, Frank Capra esque, <laughs> like, like a Rockwell fan. I mean, it's it carries a certain connotation yeah. for that reason. Mm-hmm. He's very good at making those films. He was um, stories, and uh, I think in terms of like the undercurrent of of, of the political in his work, you know, because I think Mr. Smith goes to Washington. It's always the everyman kind of standing up for the rights of others or standing up for what he believes in. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that take on that that kind of material, and I don't think we necessarily have that in Hollywood anymore of of that approach to making a, a political statement of, of some sort or getting people to um, like Mr. Smith in, in particular. I think is just getting people to see because I guess we can become so cynical as a, as a society that it's hard for us to buy something like that because we're yeah. so cynical about politics we're so cynical about uh, one man's ability to make a difference in the community and, and, and strive for something good and being virtuous right. that um, you know you know, there's no way you could probably make these Capra type films today without people laughing at it or snickering at it a little bit we're all drenched in irony now so it's hard to for people to buy into it which is sad, I think. Yeah, well, I think what what's great about the It's a Wonderful Life, it doesn't, like, I think what you said, if no one comes to help him out, it's more him realizing mm-hmm. that his life has been great. It's yeah. just not, you know, he's just kind of trapped by his own dreams, you know. 
and you didn't realize that oh this is a great life that I'm having mm -hmm. you know and tangent with some you know wild traveling the world and seeing everything and you know which most people aren't able to do financially you know no, so and, and the grass isn't always greener I yeah. mean what if he did have that life he would be what if it was very solitude you know he didn't never married and just traveled and was away from his family mm -hmm. I'm sure after a while he'd probably long for security and comfort and he'd probably want a little bit of stability maybe mm -hmm. once he got to a certain age you know Especially if something, if especially if his mother was ill, or you know, there was something going on in the family, and he was far away, he'd probably have that longing of wanting to be there. Mm -hmm. Especially since his dad passed home when he was young, and so I mean, you know, the grass is never greener on the other side, no matter how much you think it might be. Mm -hmm. um, and I think is maybe another good underlying message of this story too is that, you know, sometimes what you dream of may not really be the best thing for you mm -hmm. in the end. There's an interesting take uh, that I read. It's it from uh, Salone, you know, the, the website. And they had two takes specifically on Pottersville, that segment. Uh, this was from 2010. It's by a writer named Richard Cohen where he said, The most terrifying Hollywood film ever made. In the Pottersville sequence, George has not seen the world that would exist had he never been born, but rather the world as it does exist in his time and also in our own. And then previously, another writer, uh, Gary Camilla, wrote that Pottersville rocks. The gauzy courier in Ives Vale, Capra drapes over Bedford Falls has prevented viewers from grasping what a tiresome and frankly toxic environment it is. We all live in Pottersville now. Uh, so I thought that was... Wow. It's interesting. What was that written in? <laughs> 2010, did you say? Yeah, it was like recently, 2010, and then nine years earlier, so it was about 2001, that other comment was, was made. So that was right after... Uh, uh, probably pre nine eleven was yeah. probably when that one comment was made about Potterville rocks. Um, that's an interesting take. I never really grabbed that that that's an ideal that that we live in Pottersville. I can see that in some instances, yeah, but I don't know if that's the complete picture. I mean, I know? think it's very cynical. It's a very yeah. cynical yeah. take, obviously. Uh, um, mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, I think we're about to live in Pottersville. <laughs> yeah. um, if, uh, if, if the timeline continues the way it's going. But, uh, I mean, certainly in my head, I'm living in Pottersville right now. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think that that's to the testament of the movie is that, um, uh, you know, maybe we all do live in Pottersville. Maybe Pottersville is, is what's actually on the outside, but we have a lot of control on the inside of how we... How we interact, how we live, how we have our own life and relationships that we don't have to, um, we don't have to succumb to the Pottersville that we're, we're yeah. within. We can certainly put ourselves in our own little bubble, yeah, uh, and not a negative way, yeah, but in a good way, a good bubble to really um, project love and positivity into the world as opposed to. Well, the I think, negative Pottersville. I think that misses the point of Pottersville. Pottersville is not to like project the apocalyptic. It's to project it. It's to reassure him of his place in the world and his effect on other people. Which I think, universally, I do believe. Maybe I'm optimistic, but that you know, as an individual, you do have an effect on others, and whether it's a local, you know, obviously you're, you know. Uh, if you have your wings, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might have a more yeah. profound effect, but you do have an effect on people and, and people's lives. And um, I think there's a, 
you can get down about it. Like, what am I really doing with my life? I'm just, you know, I do this and no one really cares. And, you know, I'm just a selfish person or whatever. But you don't realize all the good things. You know, if you're a humble person, you probably don't realize the things that you're doing. Yeah. You know, you could hold a door, something as simple as holding a door open for someone or, you know. Absolutely. Could, could make, so that's like a more optimistic view. I don't think it's like, uh, it's more of without him being there that's what so it's basically saying like yeah time it, it's bad out there but it will be even worse if you weren't there so yeah. i mean i guess it's a pessimistic <laughs> optimistic way of looking at it it's a cynical but with a hope of optimism yeah yeah exactly so i, I don't yeah i think i, mean, I know i know what you're saying yeah, yeah i know yeah. exactly what you're saying you're basically saying like it, 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 Pottersville is not represented in the film as like the ultimate apocalypse like a Mad Max movie yeah. even though it's different reality what it is is like this town the charm of the town has been lost because George Bailey wasn't there to retain its charm yeah. you know it's a completely different place now he did make an impact on, on the town mm-hmm. you know I think what these writers are probably uh, intimating is that uh, like you know, it's kind of a homogenized town, Bedford Falls. This is 1946, and like it's a lot more diverse than Pottersville. You know, there's there's some weird uh, correlations there. Um, I I think that uh, I don't think Capra. Uh, you know, Bedford Falls is a white town, but that's because it was 1946. I think Capra was definitely not opposed to integration or anything like that. I was just like, this was what America that he knew in the post-war, for better or worse, and that's what he was dealing with. I don't think that, um, you know, I think Pottersville, like Scott said, is mostly meant to be, um, you know, just kind of the ultimate reality versus the ultimate, the worst-case scenario, you know, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um Coincidentally, like, uh, the AFI, like, both Mr. Potter and, uh, George Bailey made, uh, a Heroes and Villains list when they ranked the yeah. Heroes and Villains. Oh, wow. George Bailey was number nine as the ninth greatest hero of cinema. Nice. American cinema. And Mr. Potter was number six in Villains. So Mr. Potter wow. outranked George nice. Bailey on their respective list. I thought that was interesting, <laughs> nice. you know. Well, to have a hero, you need a great villain. So. Yeah, you do. Yeah. And I guess he is great. I, I, I like to see... That that that'd be interesting to me watching this film. I think the great unseen film is his journey to being, you know, despicable. You want to see his origin story? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what made him so angry? Yeah, you know? that's yeah. what I was thinking, and I I think it's because he's very lonely. I don't get the impression that he's married or had a family. Yeah. And I think he valued money, you know, at a young Ooh. age, and let that motivate him. And he's at a point in his life where. I think maybe he's thinking he redunked some things when yeah. he was younger. I mean, I think it's it's very similar to the yeah. actual Scrooge story, right? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you, see that, yeah. you see the same painted yeah. uh, picture there. It's a, he is like the quintessential Scrooge character. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Potter is, is Scrooge all the way. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's so many parallels. Except Scrooge is, we see a redemption story with Scrooge. We actually, he's a central character of that well, story. He's actively, I think the thing that's interesting, because... You know, someone that's rich and powerful, we, we see those people as maybe more indifferent or or selfish. Mm-hmm. He's aggressively antagonistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's actively pursuing the, the detriment of others. Yeah. 
as opposed to like as opposed to like Scrooge, like Scrooge is just selfish and cynical. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and yeah, you're absolutely right. Potter's like he like, really wants to see the world burn. He, he, yeah, yeah. He, he wants to put the ants under a magnifying glass <laughs> yeah. just and, because. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, that, and it's just like that's very interesting to me. Yeah, you know that that, that goes a little bit beyond just being you know stubborn. You know, just the things that when you they're magnified because you have so much wealth and influence. These 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 personal issues. Yeah. You know, like the selfishness, the the, the indifference, you know, lack of empathy. Yeah. Then it becomes everybody else's problem. But him, he, he there's a certain joy joy that he yeah. takes in making others' lives miserable. <laughs> and I'm, I'm glad it stays in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's interesting about right. that character, you know, the fact that character, as you said, makes the top six villain out of a hundred villains. Um, the RKO Pictures had the rights to that movie um, that was based off of a uh, based off of a short story. I forget the author, but it was based off a short story as the origin. RKO had it. Um, they had three different scripts written for it, and they ended up not making it. it was just sitting on the shelf. Uh, Trumbo was one of the writers, mm-hmm. one of those scripts, and but it, when Capra got it, he got the rights and he got the three scripts, and then he obviously got together and was crafting his own story. And he was taking pieces, parts. But none of those three scripts had the character of Potter in it. None of them. So, uh, I mean, can you imagine if RKO had made one of those three scripts and we saw this story, it... We probably wouldn't be talking about it. We certainly wouldn't. We certainly wouldn't. No. Yeah, Yeah, it might have been a forgotten gem somewhere that maybe a handful of people have seen, but it wouldn't be what it is today. Yeah. You know, you need need a a great central villain. And... uh, I think that's great because Mr. Potter is not a villain that would immediately come to mind for villains for people in their heads. Like, you're going to think Darth Vader first. Mm-hmm. You're going to think Hannibal Lecter, maybe, somebody that big, or the Joker. Yeah. But you're not going to think of, I don't think Mr. Potter is an obvious choice, even though what he does, he's a perfect villain, almost. Like, yeah, I mean, he really does belong in that list. Yeah, I and, think uh, it's interesting about, you know, we talk about villains and a lot of movies, they'll... I always had a problem, not so much with Mr. Potter. I think he's a fictional character. He represents, you know, an idea as much as he represents a person that George can go against. Uh, but um, when you watch, like, uh, movies that are based on reality, they always take a person that's real and they make them worse than they are. And I always feel bad. Yeah. Because yeah, that person may have done something, but then you find out, oh, they weren't so bad. I think there is a boxing movie where... They portray boys in the boxers as this big bad bully, and you just felt bad for him. You read about him, like, oh, he wasn't a bad guy. Yeah. But they yeah. portray him that way to make the movie better. Sure. Because yeah. if you make everybody relatable and sympathetic, they can kind of take away from the drama and the, the, the climaxes and stuff. But, yeah. but in this case, Mr. Potter was just a fictional character. He's, he's kind of fun, and, I mean, he's over the top. You know, he's got like a the penguin from you remind me of the penguin from Batman. He's always gonna start going quack. <laughs> I'm sure he was an influence on Burgess Meredith. He's gotta be. Ah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of that by the way, just uh, uh Burgess Meredith. He talks like the so. the wizard from The Wizard of Oz. They have a similar Yeah, he like, kinda does speaking uh, well it's the same time period yeah, essentially sure. within the, that decade both movies came out, so I'm sure like I'm sure Barrymore probably had well, he had a theatrical background for sure, but oh, I wonder yeah. if he had a vaudeville, you know, background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of that's vaudevillian, those kind of tactic techniques. Yeah. But we're all aboard the Potter train, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm, I'm full bore on Potter. <laughs> Pottersville all the way. So, As uh, a villain, not a, right. <laughs> we don't condone the action. <laughs> uh, what do you? Um, 
uh, think about um, like what's your overall impression at this point of, of the film? Like, I, I assume it's all positive, but just like, how does it hold up for you after all these years? Oh, I mean, for reasons I've said in, in the beginning, very much so. Uh, I think it's a classic. I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, same same for me. Obviously, it's my favorite film um, for the fact that it's a well crafted story and it pulls it just pulls emotion out of me. I can't even as many times as I've watched the film hundreds hundreds of times. It's still every time I watch it, I I feel the desperation. I feel the love um, in that movie. It's just. For that reason, it's it's going to always, I think, remain my favorite movie. Yeah, I think it's grown on me. I, it's it, the more I watch it, I think the, I think now more than as I get older, I get less uh, needing something. The cynicism, you know, it's thankfully becoming less and less. And you watch it, and you like, I enjoy it, and um, especially around this time of year, I think it fits perfectly in with the the optimism and, and I think everybody at the end of the year likes to recalibrate and think about what's important in your life and mm-hmm. and uh, you know think about the year you had and then you know once January comes you forget all it and move on <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I think I, I enjoy it more the more I watch it the more I, I, I enjoy it and uh, you know I any movie with Jimmy Stewart in is worth watching so <laughs> yeah you know. I, I agree with Scott. Like, uh, well, I, I can't say it's strong. I always enjoyed this movie. I, I always kind of saw it in snippets when I was a, was a child, but you know, and I've actually seen it from start to finish. I really, I really appreciate the structure of the film. Like we talked about, how uh, the fantasy elements are kind of condensed into that final act to really give it the payoff and that thrust. You know, I thought this was interesting that Capra he described the film's theme in '46 in an interview, saying as the individual's belief in himself. And that he made it to combat a modern trend towards atheism, you know. So I won't stand for religious propaganda on my. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I thought that's interesting, but I, I like Capra's take on that stuff. Like I think uh, something like this is always going to resonate with me because I'm at heart kind of an idealist. Like I like the, the idea of the good guys winning or that. Kind you... of an idealist. Oh, I am an idealist. <laughs> yeah. uh, and. The idea of the good guys winning, or that a person had a, a true positive impact on the world, and you know, uh, became fully fulfilled. And I think this movie captures that. Even if people don't necessarily aim, if someone's struggling in their life, I think this is a great movie to watch. I mean, I, I have no doubt, no matter who you are or where you come from, if you put this movie on, I think it's going to make a real difference in your life if you're struggling because. Um, the way it's constructed is so beautiful that you know I, I think that person's going to come out of this come out of it feeling better about themselves and reinvigorated mm-hmm. you know that final sequence is the ultimate reinvigoration if everyone could have a moment like that in real life where you have all these people mm-hmm. coming up to you yeah. you know that's all you need you know if, and um, so the themes of this really uh, you know I think Barrymore has a great performance I think Stewart has a great performance obviously mm-hmm. and um, I think it's a classic. I think it's going to stand the test of time, and I think it's it's a great thing to have out there for people who might be feeling suicidal, or might be feeling lost, or might be depressed to put this on at any time of the year, not just Christmas. And uh, I think they'll come out. There's a pretty good ninety percent chance they're going to come out feeling better than they did 
before they started launching the film. And if there's ever a reason for a film to exist for me, that's the reason. So, yeah. I will say. So, um, uh, I always end the podcast by saying uh, the best place outside of a theater, which I would love to see this movie in a theater with, a, with an audience. I think that would be amazing. I haven't done that yet. But is to watch it on Blu-ray, because I think Blu-ray is like the best way. And It's a Wonderful Life has a... Apparently, I have not owned it myself, but in 2009, they put out a great um, uh, Blu-ray version. It's supposed to be looks superb, apparently. Like, it's just really pristine looking and, and sounds great. And um, I think they updated it this year for the... Um, the 70th anniversary so they kind of repackage it it's the same cut to the blu-ray but uh go check that out if you're a big fan of the film and you have the ability to watch it on blu-ray do so well i want to thank joe teeters once again yes. for joining us on the thank podcast you. Thank, you. Uh, thank, you. thank you this was amazing this is something i've been looking forward to you know for a while so i'm glad we were able to put well. this together yeah. uh do you have anything coming up that you'd like to plug of any sort um yeah, as always, Improv Wars. Um, Improv Wars is happening. I don't know uh, when this is going to post, but the fifteenth, we all are. I think we're all participating in the Andy Manathon, yeah. uh, potentially, potentially the Andy yeah. Manathon on the fifteenth. Then on the 29th, I'll be there with the Elder Stagemen competing in the Improv Wars. Oh, yeah. um, and then I don't know the exact date, but the finals in January, I'll be there as the Joe Teeters Experience because oh. I won the first round. So I'll you be beat there. the Wheeler Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That's right. Don't, don't put salt on that one. Wow, wow. I, I didn't realize where I was at. <laughs> and this is something for people that we competed and we still came together and, yes. and joined together. There's yes. ever a Christmas Kumbaya. message. Oh, oh wait, yeah. no, no religious propaganda. <laughs> no, um, that's right. We can't. But uh, also, uh, I am in the storyteller cast down at the Nest Theater. So uh, shows those shows are every Friday night down at the Nest Theater, um, fifteen West Cherry Street. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And we're going to post all that information as well, like all the website information for all the, the yes. improv-oriented stuff going on around town. You know, Scott, Tilly, and I are going to be, you know, not only are we doing the podcast, but you can see us in various places doing shows and, you know, improv wars and things of that nature. Uh, and please look us up on, if yeah. this is the Wheeler Tape, please look us up on snowwheelertape.podbean.com. This is the central uh, place to find our podcast. You can also find us on iTunes. Please like and, and, and give us a five star rating. We, have five, a- we won't sell for anything less than a five star <laughs> rating, folks. Um, but and also connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Um, we mm-hmm. love to, you know, reach out and say hi. And if you have any fun suggestions, or you know, it's, it's always interesting for us to to connect with people and see if you guys are enjoying, you know, the podcast or not. And we want to list, uh, wish all of our listeners a very happy holiday season. Yes. You know, take care of yourself. Enjoy your relatives. Enjoy the the goodwill, good feeling. Watch some good Christmas movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Holiday movies, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Do what you gotta do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm gonna build things. I'm gonna build airfields. I'm gonna build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm gonna build bridges a mile long. Were you gonna throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good.